So, three weeks ago on Friday, I was, I got a new knee. <laughs> so, I want to thank you for all your prayers, especially for a speedy recovery. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I had the surgeon, she had, he had to mark the knee. So, I, he said, where do you want me to mark it? I said, just write Oli on the right... <laughs> On <laughs> the right knee. So actually, uh, I really appreciate people's prayers, and I, I say that three-fourths of my recovery is due to Judy, my wife, and all the ways that she's helped me and served me, put on this ice machine three, four or five times a day, helps keep the swelling down, and all those things you don't, I didn't even think about, but she knew because she's had two new knees, uh, hip surgery two, two times. So uh, I was thinking about an Ole Lena joke uh, this morning, and actually I've got a joke, it's, and, it, and it's not an Ole Lena joke, but it sure could be, <laughs> so you'll see. <laughs> so I grew up in a small town in Iowa, first three years, Lake Mills, Iowa. Anybody from Iowa here? So yeah, and uh, this is close to the Minnesota border, and, and my dad wanted all the eight children in the family to be able to go to a, a high, Christian high school. So we moved to Canton, South Dakota, where they had a Lutheran high school. And a lot of Norwegians lived in this town, and uh, so quite a, a strong Norwegian community. They would all have met Ole and Lena. <laughs> and so uh, we had a, a clothing store in town, and the, and the man, the owner of the store, he named it after his name. It was Tom Sexa. That's how at least you would pronounce it in Norwegian, S-E-X-E. -E. But everybody in Canton, they all, they called it Sexy's Clothing. And so, and we didn't even, you know, and well, his wife's name was Mrs. Sexy. And, uh, or the, and so I'm thinking, you know, none of us even thought we were saying sexy. You know, and so that's kind of the way it was too. Growing up, we didn't. I have a friend, um, a high school classmate. When I posted this on Facebook, he said we didn't even say the word sex out loud. So I don't know if you grew up with that kind of community, but that's the way it was. So uh, I, it was right in Main Street. You know, people must have really laughed when they saw it driving through town. So that's and you that could we could somehow put Oli and Lena in that one, but I didn't get that before I got here. So here we go. How would you answer that question today? How, how do, does God really like me? Or does God really like me? How many would raise your hand? Yes, I know for sure God likes me. So you can help me preach. That's, this is, uh, you know, why I, the reason I'm asking that question is because we know that God loves us. I mean, he's love. God is love, so it's almost like he has to love me. But when I say God likes me, it, it touches a different place in my heart. It touches, uh, I f can feel that, you know, God likes me. And, uh, and he takes, actually, from your scripture, the quote here in the, in the point one of the sermon, um, I know in my head that God loves me, but may wrestle in my heart whether God likes me. And so I quote from Zephaniah, uh, chapter 3, he will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. And it's kind of interesting to think about the way God likes us is he gives us our song. And the song 
that, that God puts in our heart even before we're born is our special purpose. But it's God's, there's something special about us, and God rejoices over that. In fact, he wants to sing over us. And in this book, uh, What is My Song, uh, uh, tells the story of in Africa, how in the villages in Africa, they start singing a, a baby his song even before he's born. The mother goes and prays and asks God, what's the song you have for this child that you, you know, you, what you want me to sing in, over that little boy or girl? And actually, uh, the, the, the mother sings that song. And having someone sing a song over me, would you hand me some water, um, please, is um, it would by, when someone sings your song, they're singing what God has put in our heart to do. And it's, some, it's, a, it's singing us the song of what's, what I want to live from my heart. And uh, Judy, if you met her, Judy, the last three years now, or maybe four now, she became a spiritual director after three years of training. And when she started doing this, she said she felt like she found her song again. That's who she is. It's all about who God has made her and the special way God has created her. Um, and so I bless you today with um, your song that God's put in your heart and how he's a special purpose for your life. And that I think he likes what he created when he made you. So the second part of the sermon is not only God likes us, but he wants to be with us. Now, we know from Emmanuel, I'll just hold on to this, that God is with us, right? We know, hear that at Christmas, God is with me. But when I say God wants to be with me, you feel a difference? God is with me, it's kind of almost something we know is true. It's almost like left brain. God wants to be with me is something like uh, it touches my heart. If, you, if someone wants to be with me, that's, I feel special. They want to be with me. And, of course, I get to feel joy, too. But what happens when I, when I know that God and experience that God wants to be with Joe, uh, it connects to my, to my heart, and then my physical response to then liking to be with me is, is joy. God wants to connect to me. I think we've all created with a desire to be known. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, now, when I was a child, I gave up childish way of thinking. But now that I'm an adult, I, think, I, I, think, I talk and think as an adult. Now I see in a mirror dimly. I see, in a ref- I see myself as a reflection in a mirror. Then I will see God face to face. Now I know in part. Then I will know fully, even as I'm fully known. And if you want to know me, that I mean, I feel loved. And so known by God means that he wants to know what's in our heart, and he wants to be with us. There's something that happens to people when they grow up in Scandinavia, and I think also in Asian cultures, and there are some injunction, injunction, injunction. <laughs> anyway, some things we, that we hear, and at least if we haven't heard it, we know it's in the culture. And this, this is in the culture, especially like in Lake Wobegon. You know, Der, you know Keeler, Garrison Keeler talked about this city 
in a small town in northern Minnesota. And some of the rules of lake, living in Lake Wobegon or in Norway or in Minnesota or what I grew up with is don't think you're special. Don't get the big head. Don't be noticed. Don't be seen. Children are meant to be seen, seen and not heard. So we want to be seen. I know, did you grow up with any of those injunctions? Don't be seen, don't think. My, you know, my mom, you don't want to get the big head. They call it, yeah, and be conceited. So, I mean, she wouldn't say I'm proud of you or proud of us because that was kind of, you're not supposed to be proud of who you are. And that can keep us from knowing that God likes us. And if I don't like myself, some people don't like their name for good reasons. I'm supposed to be a girl. <laughs> and uh, my mo they found out on the way to the hospital, I was a boy, and he found out, and he, he had, then he had to pick a name. But my mother already had a name picked out for me, Priscilla Marguerite. <laughs> <laughs> so that's on my thank you list. Thank you, God. But then I met a Priscilla Marguerite, like some of you people, special people. And that whole, my whole feeling uh, changed toward that name. So um, there we go. What happens when we don't feel special, we don't feel that God likes us, or that God wants to be with us, or the other, other people, I get wounded. It's a, it's a wound of the heart. It's like, uh, you don't want to be with me. And that's how they treat me. And so what do I do to survive when that happens? Well, I start living out a role and what it would be like for, so I could get people to like me. And I stop living from my heart, but I live out more what would please them, what would, what would I would do that, so they would like to be with me. And so we, we develop a wound out of that, and I will talk about that, because we get wounds of the heart, a father and mother wound, and I'll talk about that. But this is, this, is, um, this is something I think is so true. We are all looking for someone who is looking for us, who wants to be with us. That's why we go to House of God. People here want to be with me. <laughs> That's why I come once a month with uh, three years of surgery just three weeks ago. <laughs> so I wanted to be here. Number two, Jesus began his ministry with the Father saying to him, I like you, I am pleased with you. As Jesus was coming out of the Jordan River, Holy Spirit comes to rest on him. He hears the Father's voice from the heaven declaring, you're my son. You're my son. My beloved, whom I'm well pleased in. That's Jesus' identity. He's the uniquely beloved son who's cherished by the Father, held close to his heart, John, the gospel, says he came from the bosom of the Father uh, or the lap of the Father. It's an expression, an idiom for intimacy. So this is the kind of relationship Jesus had with the Father. And, and we get to know the Father and know the Father who likes being with us and wants to be with us. And we get to know the Father that Jesus knows and have this friendship with Jesus like he had with his dad. I had a guy in my men's group when we had prayer together. He, it was, I'm not sure I ever got used to it. When he started prayer, he would say, hi, Dad. You know, it seems like it's almost too intimate. But that's what Abba means. 
my dear father. And Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, John reads, but I call you by my most intimate friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. Intimate friends would be someone I like to be, a friend is someone that likes to be with us, right? And uh, <clears throat> so I, I was thinking about this yesterday when I, I was listening to a, a teaching and the, the uh, speaker said they've, taken, they've done a survey and about uh, millennials and they discovered that 22% of millennials don't have one close friend. Any millennials here? No, that, yeah. What are, what's the year for millennials, Sean? So some of us have millennial children, <laughs> and maybe grandchildren. But <laughs> so anyway, 22%, one-fourth of these people don't have close friends. What would it be like not to have one close friend? So that would help us then to have Jesus as my close friend. And he often says to me, Joe, I like being with you. And it touches my heart. I feel tender when I, I get, get to know the, the Father that Jesus knows and I get to know Jesus as a friend. And so this comes out of uh, the Passion Translation of John 14. Jesus points at his own face and he smiles. <laughs> and he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. To know me is to know my Father too. And this is, a, this is a very important to know because the p first picture we have, a dad, is our own dad and our own mother. And so if we have a father wound, and I'll help you identify what I'm talking about there, that we put the face of our dad when we think about God. But, so what helps us is to look at Jesus. And we see Jesus smiling at us and smiling at us face to face. He says, you... Look at me, and then you'll see the Father. That's what a father is like. And that was his mission, to bring this joy together. We have a joy of being in this family, of, that the Father, when we can hear the same words from the Father that Jesus heard. You're my son, Joe. You're my son, and I love you, and I like you. Hebrews 12, verse 1 we read Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We are running this race set before us with endurance and perseverance, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And so we've got, Lent, we've got the Ash Wednesday coming when we're going to go with this journey to the cross. And we probably haven't seen many people of Jesus having joy on his face because we get to know his suffering during the Lenten season. So that's important. But uh, in his heart, there was joy because he knew that because he was going to go to the cross, he was going to make it possible for us to be and know a God who wants to be with us and likes us and be restored and have that kind of intimacy that Jesus had with the Father 
And so there was joy in him anticipating what would happen through the cross. That was his mission. Number four in your outline, toxic shame. We're looking now, moving to what keeps us from knowing that God likes us or wants to be with us. And I think the biggest thing in our life that can keep us from knowing this is what I call toxic shame. I've taught before, there are two kinds of shame. Shame would be, it's just an emotion we have without even thinking about it. If I step on your toe, and I would feel some shame. Oh, sorry. Unless I'm a narcissist, then I would say, why'd you get your toe in my way? <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's my fault. But I could, So we have healthy shame. That's why we do confession of sins. And so some shame, which is healthy, is I need to repent. It's not something's wrong with my identity. It's just that I've done something that can keep me from knowing God's love. And that, that, that would be a healthy shame. But that kind of shame is just fleeing from the presence of someone who is not glad to be with us. And I write in your notes, joy is the fuel and foundation on which we can creatively contribute to the world. That's the fuel. It's the energy for our being able to love the world with creativity because of the joy that we have in being who we are, the joy of having God want to be with us, you wanting to be with me. And if I feel shame, there's fear and doubt that I could add anything to the, to the world. That would be shame. There's nothing about me that would add any, anything of value. And Jesus tells us, you belong. You can be a blessing to others. And shame says, I'm not welcome. I have nothing to offer. So you can see how that could get in the way of God liking me. So our identity as sons and fathers of a loving father is shaped as by our earthly father and mother's. When we miss out on this love, we may feel shame. I've done something to stop my mom or dad being glad to me, be with me. It's interesting. The kids, as children, they don't blame the dad or mom. It's my fault. Something's wrong with me. And I talked about that in my last sermon. The, list, the lie of shame is something is wrong with me. Who am I? I'm not enough. Who I am is not enough. Otherwise, people would not leave me. So when our father or mother walk out the front door of our lives by being, I give you five A's from this inventory on a wound. You see if you can identify this was your experience in growing up. Was any way your father or mother absent, abandoning you, addicted, abdicating responsibilities, or abusive? So when, when, I, when I, because of uh, what's been happening to men, I walk out of the door, I, I leave, I close my heart to my mom or dad. And, when, and, um, and when I don't get the love that I'm needed, I feel like something is wrong with me, that's shame. Shame walks in the back door of the house. It's not my fault. I'm not good. It's my fault. I'm not good enough to be loved. So I give you a father wound and blessing inventory. So it's important to talk about all the ways that our fathers and mother blessed us and all the ways that they we experience wounds and when I do this you know if you've ever been wounded by a mother or father uh, it's important to know in, in many ways it's not their fault because they didn't get it from their dad or their mother so what they don't have don't know what that's like to give or have the capacity to give that to us as our kids
So my therapist would say something about my relationship with my mother when I was with her, and then when she'd say, no fault of hers. So it's not like a bad mother is the problem, you know, the responsible for all my suffering. And then I give some ways you can identify in this inventory whether you have a father wound or a mother wound. And my, I believe if, if you have a belly button, you have one of those. Now, I had a men's group where I, Wild at Heart where I talked about with men having a, and this guy said, well, I don't have a father wound, but I do have a, um, a, a Vietnam wound. And then he shared, uh, and he was a sniper in the Vietnam. And so his job was, right, to kill people. That's what his job was. I mean, they all, but to, you know, without being identified. And, and he told the story, what happened one day. I don't even want to tell you the story. What happened when he shot someone, a mother. Uh, I mean, it, it changed his life. And I think it has to change your life if you ever have to kill someone. How could it not in terms of our heart? So we may not say, well, I don't have a father wound. One of the reasons we don't think we have a father wound is that there are two kinds of trauma or wounding. And I call it, I've discussed this before about a trauma. That's a wound of absence or abdication of responsibilities. So the, an absent wound means something's missing that was very important in my life. And, and how would I know that it was missing if I've never had it? Because it was missing. So as, as you know, I missed, as a wound of absence, I missed having a daddy. I didn't know what you get from a dad. And then I've, as I've gone on, on become a father and been experienced a lot of healing, that wound has been healed in a major way. Um, but at, at first, I didn't know uh, what that wound was. Um, so I list uh, absence, and this is often emotional absence. Our fathers were not emotionally engaged in us, or maybe we didn't know that they believed in us. You have what it takes to be a daughter, a woman. You can do it, girl. That's what we're supposed to get from dads. And also being evo emotionally available, there's an absence of that. Dismissive attachment, it's called. We dismiss the importance of emotion. Boys, don't. Don't be a bad, you know, don't cry about it. Don't be a baby. That's what I remember when my dad died. It was big boys don't cry. That's why I, I, I held back the tears. I, I don't know. It's not in the Bible. But it was, I, I knew that I was taught that in some way. So then I list abandon. It's similar to absence. But it, you could, the wound of being abandoned, uh, you know, through death or a divorce or one of your parents having an affair, over against attachment love. That love is sticky. It lasts forever. It doesn't stop. That's God's unconditional love. Or addiction. You know, if I were to, you know, a little boy was asked, um, I mean, there's shame with addiction. People, that's why people don't talk about it. Then AA came along. And so they could start an AA meeting with, my name is Joe, and I'm a grateful believer, struggling with alcohol, with abuse, uh, with uh, codependency. And so there's permission in an AA meeting to 
confess our sin openly. And, but there's a lot of shame with addiction. Now we have ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholic Groups, which really helped. But <clears throat> a friend, a professor, uh, Ray Anderson, Fuller Seminary, <clears throat> illustrated the problem with revealing what our father is like if there's been an addiction. So a little boy was asked, a teacher called him and was like, Joe, or Joey, I heard, <clears throat> I heard that you have an alcoholic father. Is that true? He didn't know how to answer. For him to say, my dad's an alcoholic, would be almost like to carry his shame. And so if I would have you to raise your hand, how many had an alcoholic father or mother, some of you would raise your hand. And so, but now I think we have permission to uh, get that out in the open. And here's the pur purpose of doing these, this kind of inventory is <clears throat> one way to get healed from it is to first of all, stop denying it's there. All right, this is what happened to me. And, and even to say to our mom or dad, you sinned against me. We say it in prayer, maybe not in person. And of course we forgive in the end. And there's other characteristics of the wound, of a strict, I mean, I would say my father was an alcoholic. I don't feel shame of that. I think I've been an alcoholic. Work really medicates pain really well. <laughs> I'd have an argument with Judy. And I, we lived 30 yards from the, what was it, slight disagreement. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, and I'd walk 30 yards over to the church up in the White Mountains. And I start working, and, and I forget about all the pain. But it distracted me, of course. Abdication of responsibilities. Doesn't keep promises. Abusive. So amazing how little things become really big things when we're little. So yesterday I'm praying with a pastor. He's become a good friend. He lives in the church now. I help him out in his church on Wednesday nights. And so he often asks for prayer. And so I was praying with him, and, and the Lord brought up a memory. When he was 10 years old, his dad asked him to watch the car. And, um, and, so, and he said, you get it, make sure it's clean. I don't want to see any spots or something like that. And his dad comes out, and he starts examining the car. And he wash, he, i got to wash this all over again. And it's kind of like, what's the message of that? You're never going to do it right. You're not good enough. That would be abuse, almost abusive. And so the opposite of that would be kindness. We underestimate how big, how significant simple kindness is. And I like to thank people for kindness. Don't take it for granted. And the last one there is a little touching, hugging, or holding. You can't, and then over against the abundance of loving respectful affection. Um, how many of you had fathers who hugged you? That's about the least to have. Mothers? More? How many had fathers who said, I love you? So that, that's a gift, isn't it? But to be held by a dad uh, is really special, and a mother. I was with a pastor's family in Phoenix, and the pa he, 
he asked, Joe, would you, what would you, question would you like to ask us? And uh, have, yeah, answer this question. And this is a question I asked the kids. What do you appreciate about your parents? And this, like, eight, nine-year-old boy, he said, I appreciate snuggling with my mother. And, and, and Shane, Graham is his name. He said, he, he talked to him later that night, I hope you will never be ashamed to say that. He liked to snuggle. And it's very important for us in, in the journey of feeling loved. And, um, number six. My hearing aid just went on. <laughs> so I feel, oh, there's my voice. Um, healing our identity. These are some steps to healing. There's one way to experience healing. I'm going to do this quickly, but if you want to remember these, it's the, it's the letters for a radio station. WLBS, like that radio. And, and the W stands for we are wounded. And that's when we are wounded. W, we believe lies. Biggest one, two lies. I'm on my own, it's my fault. And no one's on my side. So you got the lies based on the wound, and then you make a vow, which is an agreement with a lie. In order to survive, living with, some, you know, with that feeling, with those lies, I make a vow. I will never trust. I will never show you. I have to pretend. I, will, I have to hide. I have to prove that I'm good enough to be strong. And so those vows helped us survive, but they can become like a stronghold. I go to the vow to protect me, to save me, instead of Jesus. I didn't know how to run to Jesus. And so part of the healing then is to recognize the wound, the lies, the vows, and the strongholds, and I renounce those vows in the name of Jesus. And forgive me, Lord, for running to the vow to protect me instead of you. Healing our wounds. This is the main problem of a trauma and, and, and a wound. This is the big one. It's a lie, actually. I'm, I, I mean, it, there's truth to it, but the lie is no one's on my side. I'm all alone. That's what makes it a trauma. Is anybody with me? And so for the healing of that, we experience Jesus uh, loving us and making sure that we know he's with us and wants to be with us. And so you use these sentence starters and saying it with Jesus. Jesus sees my, he sees my cries, longing, my pain, my fear. Here's my thoughts. Something's wrong with me or I'm not enough. He knows and understands how big the pain is and promises, promises me, I, I created you, I really like you. There's a, I want to be with you, and I'm going to help you. Have you any, are any of you familiar with Lauren Daigle's song, uh, You Say? Anybody? Just Lauren Daigle. She's a popular singer. I heard this song in Ralph's grocery store. I was so happy. Here's the words of the song Lauren sings. You say, actually, this was the number one song got the Dove Award this last year. You say, I'm enough. You say, I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say, I'm strong when I feel weak. You say, I'm held when I'm falling short. When I don't belong, you say, I'm yours. I'm yours. 
I'm not who I say I am, like a person who nobody wants to be with. Or someone else says, you're stupid, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes. But I am who God says I am. I'm living from my heart. Of course, I, can, I am who people affirm me. I mean, that's, they help me reflect who I am in a good way. So we lean into the, we learn to lean into the loving arms of the Father like Jesus did. I love that picture, leaning in. You've seen me have Sean hug me, and I just love leaning into his shoulder. It feels like I'm leaning into the heart of God, the heart of a father, the heart of love. And so it's one way of picturing our Christian life is it's like um, the difference between rowing and sailing. Rowing, in terms of growing and becoming who God has created me to be, means I have to try hard. You know, row, row as fast as I can to be good, to be good enough, to prove I'm worthy of love. Over against sailing. Any of you sailors? Because you know, I've sailed but this far inland. But gone sailing. You've gone sailing. There's someone. Well, what's a, a sailor, person who's doing, leading the boat, is not just sitting there waiting for the, 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 you know, the, to work. But it looks at what's, where the wind's blowing and gets that sail up there. And so the sail will catch the wind. And, and give you, gives the power for, for the boat to move. And that's the picture we want in our relationship to God. I want to sail. I'm done with rowing, working harder at it, trying hard. And so I go with the wind, the wind of Holy Spirit. Where is the Spirit blowing in your life today? And that's important so that prayer doesn't be, ob, you know, it's not like an obligation when I pray. I'm supposed to pray, so I'll pray. No, Holy Spirit is calling me to pray and, and actually telling me what he, God wants to give me. So I ask God what you, for what he's already said I want to give you. I want to give you my love. And then we ask for it. And, that, and I want to, I want to uh, feel that wind of the sail like on the house of God. Yeah, we're here and there's a wind blowing. Wind of the Spirit blowing in this church. And we're going to catch the sail. And, and I want that sailboat in my Christian walk. In closing, <laughs> you heard that joke. You know what? means when a pastor says, in, in closing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's not true for Sean, is it? <laughs> this is a prayer that some of you may have prayed, but my guess would be that some of you have not prayed. prayed. It's a prayer basically to invite Jesus into your heart. And so... Uh, if we want to experience that God wants to be with us as much as he wants us to know that he wants to be with us or likes and loves us, this would be the place to begin, to make sure we have invited Jesus into our heart and ask forgiveness for our sins and know that we're going to pray this prayer today and if this is a prayer you've never prayed before, something will happen in your life because Jesus answers this prayer for sure. So I'd like us all to get your notes and pray this pray, prayer out loud, to, aloud, aloud together. You know what the side effects of pain medication is that my words don't match whatever. <laughs> How many noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be get better. I'll be back to normal. Here, let's pray. Are you with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. 
I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'll pray. You might want to read, pray this prayer again, uh, just alone, so that it can focus. But I thank you, Jesus, that you answered this prayer for each one of us today, that you gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are people forgiven. We live in that forgiveness. So much to thank God for today, my life. Thank you for answers to prayer, recovery from knee surgery. Let's pray some thank you prayers. Just say it out loud, pray it out loud so we can join in with you. Person in your life, thank you for any gifts God's given you. Answer the prayer. Thank you for our dads and our moms. So many good things that they gave us. We bless all that. Goodness, mercy, teaching me to love God and forgive, be forgiven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.